0: Welcome to Spiritual Wanderlust, where we explore our interior life in search of the sacred. Many of us will travel the whole world to find ourselves, but here we'll follow those longings within to our spiritual and emotional landscapes. In each episode, we'll talk with inspiring guests, contemplative teachers, embodiment experts, neuropsychologists, and mystics. With a blend of ancient wisdom and modern science, along with a healthy dash of mischief, deep dive into divine intimacy and what it means to be whole. I'm your host, Kelly Deutsch. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Spiritual Wanderlust podcast. My name is Kelly Deutsch, and I am your host. Today, we are joined by one of our spiritual directors here at Spiritual Wanderlust, Carl Finis. And today, Carl and I are going to kick off a new series uh, within our podcast called Ask a Spiritual Director a Question. So you will be able to submit your own questions over voicemail or text, um, anything that you might be curious about in the spiritual life, You know, whether it's um, figuring out a new practice or um, questions around contemplation responding to your family, how to deal with your deepest longings, whatever it might be, uh, we'd be happy to respond. And each time we'll have a, a different spiritual director or a few to respond and discuss uh, the questions that you might submit. So we invite you to check that out um, and submit your questions, any that you might have on spiritualwanderlust.org ask ask. So Carl and I will be responding to a few that we received over text today. Um, and we'll have a conversation about each of those. So let's get started. Our first question today is from Amy, uh, and she is wondering about reconstruction. She said, I have deconstructed enough that I am seeking reconstruction at this point, and I have no idea how to do this or where to seek information. Can you help? Um, Carl, how would you initially respond to this?
1: Well, first of all, um, thanks Amy for um, you know, putting the question forward, first of all. Um, you know, the, the one thing that's hard about this, right? Is that you don't have the person in front of you asking the question and you don't have the context, right? Uh, of what they're going through and what their life is like and where they've come from and where they're at now and even where they hope to go. Um, and all of that is obviously very important for really doing this but it's definitely um, worth talking about even just in general. Um, this is a really interesting question, uh, cause there's a lot in it <laughs> that could be talked about, um, you know, even the key words of being, you know, deconstruction and reconstruction, um, to me, that really sparked, um, a, a real resonance just in terms of what the spiritual life is all about fundamentally, um, is that God is constantly reshaping us and remaking us. And to do that, it requires him, you know, and us to participate in sort of letting go of what is in us that needs to fall away or to be transformed, um. So there really is a, a deconstruction and reconstruction process um, that's normal. And I think that would probably be the first thing I would say is like, well, first of all, good. Uh, if you feel deconstructed and you're interested in reconstruction, that probably means that you're on the right path. Um, it certainly is uncomfortable, though, I think, um, to be deconstructed or to be going through a process where you're giving up, whether it's your character defects, um, whether it's you know the sins of your life that you're working on. Um, or even just going through stages of life that are changing, um, all of those right are kind of deconstructions of of your life. Um,
0: yeah. How but- for anybody who hasn't heard of those terms, what would you like if you had to say you know in a sentence or two what deconstruction and reconstruction mean? How would you? Yeah.
1: Well, I'm thinking of them in the sense you know probably I would ask her more like tell me more of what you feel like those words mean to you. But to me, deconstruction is more of a process of. Um, like Richard Rohr talks about the first half of life, as we move into the second half, that sense of letting go, or Saint Paul when he talks about the letting go of childish things, um, so that uh, journey of maturation, essentially, right? Um, but I also like it the sense of it's a deconstruction, not necessarily a, a destruction, mm-hmm. right? It's a deconstruction in the sense that um, we're um, transcending where we're at, but we're including what we where we came from. Um, and so I like that I like that she's using those words rather than destruction and recreation let's say
2: mm, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right because it, there's a there's a, an element of a um, uh, a pattern essentially that you're keeping track of as you go through your life that the things that you once used to be you never really let go of them they carry forward with you in various forms but they do have to get reconstituted and so to write the, they have to be essentially stripped down to the studs and then rebuilt um, and I know for me personally um You know, I would answer this probably to talk a little bit about um, the fact that, you know, in sobriety, one of the things that I had to really do, uh, I had to deconstruct my own faith, essentially. Um, And that's a very painful thing to do, right? When you come to depend on certain ideas or even certain relationships or even practices that you've maybe once worked for you, um, but you come to points in your life where maybe they don't work so well anymore. Um, and so that process is very painful uh, to let go of those and then to and then to ask, right? where what was good in them that needs to continue carrying forward? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like i I really I have some i uh, have some empathy here in the sense of I'm seeking reconstruction is the, I think the way she said it, um because it it is a seeking. It's a journey, right? of mm-hmm. trying to find um to find yourself, right? Um, you know we have to lose our life to find it, and the losing is the deconstruction, and the finding is the reconstruction. Uh, but it's a iterative process. It's not just a one and done. Um, and so, you know, one of the things I would, you know, probably ask her is um, how has how has this process worked for you in the past? This isn't the first time that you've probably been de- have, ha- that you've been deconstructed. Let's say, mm. um, and there's probably been many times in your life where you've been rebuilt into the version of yourself that was um, necessary to be, you know, present um, at that time. Um, and then to like trust essentially that that process is something that. Um, you've been through before. Um, good things have come from it. It's painful, um, but you're on the right path.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The one thing
1: about this that's tricky for me is the where where to seek information. Um, mm. I'm I'm curious even about like what that would look like, or um, I don't know what you think about that. But
0: yeah, I think um, if you're at the point, and I, I love talking with people who are at this this hinge point, and I I feel like that's what. Um, we do a lot of at spiritual wanderlust is once people are done with deconstruction and have started to um, recover a sense of wonder and curiosity. And um, instead of, you know, deconstruction is usually really just a grief process and it's, it needs its time to (laughs) be able to go through the, the denial, the anger, the grappling, the, you know, settling back into acceptance and, and once you've done a lot of your grief work and have settled back into this big wide field that you're no longer afraid of that, you're like, you know, like, I wonder what's out here. Um, I'd say it really depends. Um, first of all, it's a lot of inner work, you know, this process of reconstruction and, um, just attending to your own longings, like where are you at in this whole process? Like, do you still need to figure out like what your beliefs are? To me, that's, um, not as important since that's more of a head thing as discerning what your heart's longings are. Mm -hmm. Um, and so sitting down and, um, finding whatever your spiritual practices, I mean, basically anyone almost anyone who's longing for spiritual growth, I'll, I'll say four things, you know, I'm like, find your practice, find your guide, find your community and find your inner work, you know, and those four things, um, uh, those are what help us grow at any stage. And I went into that in the, our course on the seeker's guide to mysticism, you know, Mm -hmm. so if anybody wants that more in depth on what that even means. Um, feel free to check that out. It's at mysticismcourse.com. But those finding your guide, finding your practice, finding your community—usually those are the things that we're missing the most from our prior mm-hmm. um, expression of religion. And to me, that's what a big part of deconstruction is: is you feel like you've lost your identity, you feel like you've lost your community and your mission. Like, this is where I fit, this was my purpose, and this is who I am. And all of a sudden, all that's ripped away. So when you're reconstructing, it's it's settling into that silence and listening for that. Like, who am I, and what do I want, and where do I fit? Um, If I, I know a lot of folks, when they stumble into that second half of life, you know, when they first half is... Again, this is Carl Jung or Richard Rohr. um, Several people talk about it. First half, you're building your container. This is who I am and who I'm not. And there's a lot more definition. You um, tend to rely on a feeling of certainty and uh, black and whiteness. And when you shift into the second half, you're um, appreciating the technicolor (laughs) that is out in the world, that is reality and the nuance. Um, And instead of Um, relying on or craving or needing so badly the certitude, we learn to live the questions. Like maybe there isn't like a pat answer that I can give to this, but maybe it's just something I need to live into the answer if there is one into that mystery. So as people settle into that place of kind of non-duality, a place that I'm frequently referring people is like Richard Rohr, if you haven't already read him. Um, Thomas merton, um, and and seeing where, like what practices resonate most with you at this particular moment in life, you know, letting go of all the shoulds, like everybody says you should <laughs> meditate, you know, have your twenty minute sits a day or you know whatever. Um, but if you're connecting with the divine most deeply um by, like, I love to just go like stick my face in the grass. (laughs) That's like (laughs) one way that I just love to like reset and be present. Um, You know, it's not one of the longer practices. I don't lie there most of the time for an hour. Um, But figuring out what those things are and seeing what bubbles up and walking through that with your guide or with your community, I think those Mm -hmm. things are all Ways to begin that process of of reconstruction um, and surrounding yourself with with either people or resources. You know, if you want to take a course, if you want to read a book, great. But just make sure you're not doing it solely on a head level. You know, make sure that you're doing that that deeper inner work along the way as well,
1: absolutely. Yeah, that's really well said, Kelly. and i I really like the what you emphasized in the sense of you know, the community aspect, right? There, there's so many parts of this. Um, And it's helpful, I think, sometimes to do an inventory a little bit. Um, And like from an AA point of view, when we talk about the fourth step and we're doing a a fearless and searching moral inventory, that's usually very focused on kind of, you know, why am I in a meeting? Why is why have things gone sideways in my life from a kind of a just basic moral Mm -hmm. principle view? But when you really get into the work, right, this deconstruction process goes way beyond that. Um, and it impacts not just my actions in this moment, right? It's more of like, who am I living with? Where am I at? What church am I in or not, mm-hmm. um, right? What practices am I doing? What practices are we doing um, as a community? Those are all things worth worth looking at. And some of them are in pretty functional order and some of them really are not. Mm-hmm. So, right, the other thing too is to really take a fine tooth comb and really think about, well, not everything has to be deconstructed necessarily or at least not right now.
2: Mm-hmm. And some things
1: are are still working, right? And And I think to celebrate um, and to be grateful for the parts of your life that are functioning and maybe have been reconstructed and are flourishing is also another source of wisdom, uh, because they might begin be able to inform maybe the parts that are deconstructed or in ruins or, or in need of real repair, um, right? So then and maybe you, maybe you have a, a spiritual director or a father confessor or a really strong community that can help you reconstitute other areas of your life maybe that are. Um, in more disarray maybe your spiritual practice let's say is kind of um, not really working for you but you have a community of people you trust right well then you can tap into that right to maybe look have them help you with the other part um, and so for me, yeah, that sense of community, that sense of having a guide, or maybe several guides for different parts of what have, needs to be deconstructed and re- reconstructed. You know, I know okay. for me personally, you know, I have an AA sponsor, and I have a priest, and I have a, a spouse, and I have a number of friends, right? And they mm-hmm. all provide different types of input. Uh, not, neither one of them is good for the entire project um, because I'm a real project (laughs) as we all are. Right. And so, you know, you need a lot of different, uh, voices, I think. And, and like you said too, right. The voice that's in your head, unless you're really on the path to enlightenment, um, is probably not always the greatest voice to be always listening to (laughs) at -hmm. least right by itself. You need, you need something else. Um, and again, it's that combination of your own experience, your, the practices that you embody in the world. Um, and then, right, the community and the guides that you have around you, and then to be willing and to be curious, right, to engage with those. I think a lot of us have some of those resources available, but we are either afraid to tap into them, or afraid to be vulnerable in them, um, right? And I think that's sometimes part of what has to be deconstructed: is our ideas, mm-hmm. or what that should look like, what that's going to be, or what the what's maybe holding me back, me back from being able to. Um, to give and receive in those environments in a way that would actually, you know, help my reconstructive process. uh, to Mm -hmm. really.
0: Yes, I think it's really important. I mean, as you said, there are different people who um, are able to offer wisdom for different aspects of our life. And I think it's really important, especially if you've experienced any religious trauma, to make sure that you have either a therapist or, you know, someone, Mm -hmm. I mean, I would almost almost 100% of the time recommend a therapist if you can find a good one, but at at the very least, like a spiritual director who is well and deeply psychologically grounded, you know, to be able to walk through and to be trauma informed enough to know, I mean, you know, if your spiritual director is like, just go back to church, it's like, well, (laughs) they might need a little more nuance, you know, and they might not be the one to walk with you through this path in life because, if you're having like panic attacks when you go back to church, which is something that I experienced, you know, like I, I was so thankful. I had a um sister who was, oh gosh, she must've been around 80 years old. Um, You know, so it lived through Vatican II and, you know, all the kind of crazy hubbub in the Catholic church. Um, And I remember sharing with her like that I was having these anxiety attacks when I tried to go back to mass. And she was like, she just looked at me. She was like, don't go, you know? And I was like, oh, right. She's like, do you think that's what God wants for you? Like to go to mass and have a panic attack. (laughs) I'm like, oh, oh yeah. Why did I think that that's so important? You know, but it was just, again, something that was left from my, my earlier identity and practice. I mean, that was just so much part of who I was and how I lived my life that to shift that sometimes took somebody from the outside to say like, Maybe we need to look at this because mm-hmm. that might not be good for your spirit body person <laughs> um, to continue whatever practice. And and some people are able to continue in their institutional religion just fine, you know. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on what's going on with you personally. Um, if there's some significant trauma there that needs to be processed and worked through, um, whether or not. It includes some sort of institutional practice, Um, right? So
1: yeah, we need to be able to we need to be able to say yes enthusiastically to whatever it is that we're doing, Mm -hmm. and I think so many of us don't, right? We're either grudging participants in things that we don't either don't understand or don't or aren't really working for us, um, or we're too afraid to just raise our hand and admit, like, well, maybe I should, let's say, be doing this or feeling this or thinking this, but I can't or I don't right now, Mm -hmm. and I need to it's important to explore maybe why that is, um, Mm -hmm. in a spirit of forgiveness and, and curiosity, like you said, Mm -hmm. um, because whether you should or not is irrelevant. What's really important is what, what you're capable of and what you need to be doing right now. And what you might need to do right now is like you said, in some cases is strategically retreat
2: Mm -hmm. to a
1: position in humility in some ways, right. To admit that, well, whether this is something I should do or not, I can't right now. Mm -hmm. And it's really important that I do the work to be deconstructed and reconstructed such that when that opportunity or that obligation or whatever it is that right comes uh, to us, then we're able to say yes to whatever part of it we can say yes to, uh, like God says, you know, he wants a cheerful giver, <laughs> not just a giver, right? And so that that sense of cheerful cheerfulness, and I would say even joy, right, of, of moving towards. Um, those uh, actions and activities. um, if we can't do it joyfully, then we probably should admit that we're not ready yet. Mm-hmm. And there's no shame in that. There really isn't. And I think, you know shame for, for sure is one of the the greatest inhibitors in the spiritual life. Um, right? We have a script about who we are and who who people are and what the world is and what it should be. And all of those scripts need to be challenged. And yes. you know, I know for me, you know, you know that's that's the only way forward. And that is, for me personally, I think, the reconstructive process is where is my shame? what, who, what am I afraid of? Right. And I have to move towards that in a way that's, um, you know, cautious, right. Knowing maybe my limitations and my weaknesses, but with courage, right. To stay with, you know, to have my eyes wide open and my heart open and be willing to take tentative steps almost as an experiment. And I say, Mm -hmm. I see the spiritual life very much as a, an experiment, essentially, in um, in becoming, right? And that because it's an experiment, you're going to have to go through deconstructions and reconstructions all the time as you're getting new input, you're learning new things, and parts of you that used to work now have to fall away and make yes. room for something maybe bigger and better. And that's you know that's literally the process. That's actually how it works. And I think a lot of people don't know that necessarily, or they think that it's a box checking exercise, or that it just comes magically and that's not necessarily true i mean it's um it's a daily it's a daily process that has mm-hmm. to be engaged with our entire being
0: yes yes the dying and rising the like especially those attachments you know i mean that's that's why we talk about like ego death and things like that in the spiritual path because so much of it is dying to those things that um we've learned to use as coping mechanisms or to blunt the pain and some of the woundedness which is why the inner work is so crucial in all of this so yeah so resources i mean i would say start looking for a guide if you don't already have one um you can find one here spiritual directors international has a huge directory um find your community find your practice find your inner work And again, there's more resources on that um, on our website or um, mysticismcourse.com. So feel free to check that out. Uh, Our next question, we have um, a question from Judith and she says, my ambition and dream is to become a Carmelite nun, but it is not easy to achieve, especially with long-term health issues. How can I spiritually be healed or even achieve my hopes and dreams? Hmm. Where would you start with that,
1: Boy, that's a painful question in many ways, um, right? Because our vocation, the sense of what we're called to do and who we're called to be in the world is is one that everyone who has any spiritual sensitivity really feels at some point, and in some cases for long stretches of their life, really wrestling with. Um, And I think, you know, one thing is, and I'll I'll get to her question in a minute, but one general thing I think I would say about this is that... um, As I was listening to the question, I was thinking of um, Augustine's quote about do or no, I think it was Benedict, like do what you're doing, right, Mm -hmm. be where you're at. There's something I think that we've um, and whether you're Catholic, I mean, there's I think every group has their own version of this particular uh, mistake, which is that they put forward a sense of what a good Christian or a good spiritual person should be doing in the world. And then there's this implicit sort of assumption that if you're not moving in that direction or haven't achieved that type of work, let's say, um, you're missing the mark. And, you know, I know for me growing up as a Protestant, it was being a missionary, let's say, and I didn't want to be a missionary. I had no interest. Uh, I didn't really have any skills, particularly at that time for any of that kind of work. And so I always, I felt Right, that I, I, I felt like I should have that dream or that ambition. Mm. Um, and I felt a lot of shame about not wanting to pursue that and feeling like God was disappointed in me in that way. Um, and I'm not saying necessarily that Judith had, Judith had that as it relates to, let's say, monasticism. But um, so that's one thing I think to look at is to hold our vocations lightly or our dreams, you know, and be willing, right, to go where God takes us, um, which is so clear from scripture that, you know, um, the thoughts and ambitions and plans that we have when we start out, and even as we're moving forward, often get shifted and changed. Um, I think of Jonah (laughs) a lot in that regard, right? He had a vision for what he wanted to do and he, you know, he knew what he was supposed to be doing, but he couldn't do it. Um, On a more practical note, I think, you know, my, one of the things I would say about this is um, there's so much, and you know this Kelly better than anybody. There's so much about the monastic life that can be, and really should be lived wherever you're at. There's no excuse in some ways that if you have a calling or if you feel like you have, if you're attracted, let's say to the monastic life as such, um, then start living it like there's yeah, like so much you can you? do mm-hmm. about establishing a regular rule of prayer <clears throat> and like you said before about um you know having a guide right develop a really close relationship with a father confessor or a priest or a spiritual director or all of the above and really uh, really um know take that ambition of the monastic vision which is to really transform yourself into the in in the love into and in the love of god and Mm -hmm. make that full-time work then there's no reason you can't start making small steps now where you're at and then more tactically right you can get into the details of how do you manage that if you have other obligations like let's say a family or Mm -hmm. other work etc right but there's all you know there's no excuse to not start playing around the edges of how can i start living into that vocation where where i'm at now um you know, and then with long-term health issues, I mean, that right. I mean, that's something that everybody either is facing currently or will in the future. It's inevitable. Um, but again, that doesn't shouldn't necessarily stop you at least again, from making some movement in that direction. Um, and 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 in many ways, right? The crosses that we bear, whether that's mm. our health, whatever, become become hopefully the vehicle that push us forward into that life. Um, but you know, I love her at the end when she called it her hopes and dreams. You know, and one of the questions I probably have for her is, well, how long, like, how long has this been a hope and a dream for you? Where is what's the story that you've been, you know, that has been a part of you that has been pushing Mm -hmm. this direction. Um, And then, you know, the other thing too, I guess, Mm -hmm. is it takes some bravery sometimes to, if you feel like, you know, what God is calling you to do, um, sometimes you can't just play around the edges. Sometimes you have to make a bold, you know, move of faith and make a, and really make an attempt and be willing to fail. Right. Um, or be willing to have to change uh, the direction or the structure as you you go. Uh, But then that feeds right back into deconstruction and reconstruction,
2: right? Mm
1: -hmm. Um, There's no failure in the spiritual life. There's just lessons to learn. Mm
2: -hmm. And so,
1: um, you know, and it's very important that we set ourselves up appropriately to learn the lessons that we're here to learn. And some of us need to be monastics. Some of us need to be married. Some of us need to be, right, doing things. We need to have our life structured in such a way that those lessons can be most easily grasped onto and lived and learned. Mm. Um, but again, God doesn't abandon us just because our particular outward vocational structure isn't, uh, perfect, right? There's all kinds of layers to this, um, that you can, that you can plug into worth where, wherever you're at.
0: Yes. Yes. I would echo a lot of that. Um, both the, like, I appreciate the longing for the monastery. Like, I think a lot of us who are on a spiritual path are like, gosh, that would be nice. But Even deeper than that, like some people feel a genuine sense of like call, um, which is one of the hardest things to hold lightly.
2: (laughs) Um, That's for sure.
0: Because as you were saying, like, be where you are, like, do what you're doing. Our goal should be God's will, which Mm -hmm. is what we're being given right now, like what's Mm -hmm. in front of us. And that might be grappling with illness or it might be in the convent someday. Like, (laughs) you know, we don't really know, but if Mm -hmm. we're really after union with God, like if we really want spiritual growth or the will of God, like what in the end, should it really matter to us what that looks like? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: That is so hard (laughs) because Mm -hmm. sometimes we're like, but I just, I feel like I have this God-given longing, you know, to be completely his in the monastery or, you know, whatever it is. And to that, I then say like, go and sit before the divine and say, like, do something about this. Like, right. if you gave this to me, you mm-hmm. either need to fulfill it or you need to, like, take it away because exactly right. this is painful. Yep. And that's that's the challenge with all longings, I think, mm-hmm. you know, is going before God and saying, this is really profound and painful inside of me, how much I long for this thing. So either... <laughs> Fulfill it. Do something about it. If you gave it to me, and also finding that trust within you, like if this is something God planted within you, He is going to fulfill it. Like, mm-hmm. and it might be in ways that you do not expect. Like, right. I am a primary 15. example of that. You know. Of, yes. Um, you know, I felt called to the convent since age fourteen. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, like this is just what I, you know, I think God wants me to do with my life. And once I was in like the convent, um, there was, there was a lot of good and a lot of difficulty. And now I find myself on the other side of like illness and leaving the community and all of those things, living many aspects of that life that I longed for, but not, you know, obviously I'm not a nun anymore. Um, And that was, I mean, that was my own process of like deconstruction and having to grapple with my sense of identity and calling and purpose and all of that. So um, I understand and I can empathize at least with how deep that longing can be. Um, And also now dealing with chronic illness, like there (laughs) Is rarely a day that goes by that I'm not like, can we just be done with this, please? <laughs> <laughs> like, I There's so many things that I want to do, and I just have to trust that, like, all right, if they're meant to happen, if this is truly God's will, he's going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And if not, like, if this is God's will for you to just be ill and have difficulty, like, walking sometimes, okay, that's that's your path to holiness, Cal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. Um. So I... I think that overall is the invitation is to hold that lightly. Um, but I think there's also there, like we said earlier, the the invitation to doing your inner work. Like, mm-hmm. what is it that draws you about the convent? And to right. look at both the bright and happy reasons as well as the like, not so, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> the, the reasons that you'd rather just like keep in the closet, you know? Um, it's, it's easy to long for like a sense of community and belonging a rhythm of prayer and to just have that radical life of being all in. Um, But oftentimes underneath that, there is also the like fear of being lonely or wanting to get away from the chaos of your job Mm -hmm. or (laughs) um, feeling not enough as I am. And so I want to do something radical to feel like I've, I'm enough. I've done this big thing and I, i'm okay i'm good i'm lovable whatever you know our our kind of core lie is um like i when I, um when i entered the community like you know i was like i feel called here like this is definitely something that is my vocation uh, i had no idea that i had a sense of like spiritual elitism like blended into that mix you know it wasn't really until after i left when i was grappling with things so much and um I think it was my best friend who asked me, you know, um, what was wrong with being a lay person and what came out of my mouth was because then I'd be just like everybody else. And I was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I did not know that was in there. <laughs> like, okay. Okay. That's, that's something <laughs> I need to deal with and address <laughs> and heal, you know? And that mm-hmm. was something that that Judith asked about is like the the healing process. And I think a lot of that is yeah. in doing your inner work and addressing like even you might still have a genuine call to religious life. Yeah. But sometimes the the painfulness of it has more to do with our attachments and um and wounds that yeah, need healing absolutely. and addressing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that long, that sense of longing is a little bit of a double edged sword in the spiritual life, Mm -hmm. right, It is partly how God woos you forward into becoming right closer to him and to becoming more of who you really were meant to be. But it's always, it always means that you're carrying yourself forward, which means your weaknesses and the darker sides and, and, um, like you said, the motivations for why you might want something to begin with. Um, and even if you want something that's good, um, it, not all of your reasons necessarily are super pure, and the longing I think itself is part of how God purifies you in that. Mm-hmm. That is the spiritual healing that you're seeking, which is to to make sure that that longing isn't um, isn't for anything other than Him fundamentally.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but but it, very few of us want God for Himself. We want God and something else, right? Like C.S. Lewis, right. Christianity and, or <laughs> right? There's always an attachment that we're carrying forward um and from a an, you know like an addic- addiction recovery point of view that's exactly how it works is that you know healing your addiction it usually what you really wanted was god all along the the drug or whatever it is that you became addicted to was was something that had to be let go of and it's the thing that it's the reason you're in recovery mm. but fundamentally your longing is for union with god right and to be of service to to the people around you and to be and to be filled with the love and joy that you really um, that, you know, you were called to live, to be, you know, to, to live out and to be in,
2: mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but those
1: substances, right. That trick us, right. That are idols, essentially, um, they're what have to be deconstructed out of us. But the longing itself is this, thing, that never really goes away.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's constantly being purified. Um, and yeah. like you, yeah. And that's why it's so important to, to stay diligent in your practices and in, your, in, in, in your inner work. So that you can more carefully understand like why it is that I want something or what, what is it about it that I want um, to be really clear with yourself. Um, And then, like you said, I, which I loved, which is that you constantly take that back to God and you make it his responsibility. Um, Right. Because if he gives you this body and this life and these longings and this desire and this personality and right, everything that makes you who you are, that leads you into wanting something deeper and more. Um, then then it's his responsibility to walk with you. And I think, again, sometimes in the spiritual life, we get so depressed and bogged down. And I think part of it is a script that leads us to believe that it's somehow our responsibility to climb out of that, to find it on our own. And that's not true at all, right? It's It really is a partnership. Um, and I think, again, the longing is the tool, one of the tools that God uses to help us understand um, that he is fundamentally... Uh, what we're looking for. And that in him, all of these other longings for the outward structure, the particular activities, whatever that happens to be, um, right, those are all tools. And Mm -hmm. we're willing to give them up at any time. And we're willing to say, I want to follow you into doing whatever it is that you need me to do. Um, then he'll he'll take you where you're best able to serve, mm-hmm. and that will never be something where you're called to like I was afraid of to become you know a missionary to Africa or somewhere where I have no skill set and no interest and no capabilities. That's not what God does. God doesn't take us into places to fail and then just leave us there mm-hmm. um, right He leads us to where we're supposed to be, but we have to be willing to trust uh, that that probably will be a little bit different than what we thought, especially at the beginning
0: Preach, yes, very true and it um <laughs> Yeah, I had a couple thoughts come up there. One about like staying with the longing is really a a fundamental skill in it, both in spirituality, but also psychology and doing your own Mm -hmm. inner work, being able to stay present to an uncomfortable emotion or sensation. That is really difficult. And Mm -hmm. um, back in the convent, we we would just call that the Stabat, like Stabat Mater is like a Latin, like the Mary who like stayed at the foot of the cross, you know, in a very painful place, but she stayed, you know, and to be able to stay in the midst of longing and recognize that sometimes that longing um, is God's way of like stretching us in our interior so that we can fit even more of Mm -hmm. him, of the goodness that we're desiring union, all the wonder enjoy yes um, but it's it can be really painful in that that staying in the Stabat. Mm-hmm. Um yeah so i say like uh judith work on embracing what you're being given now and uh, ask for the grace to receive that grace if that's challenging um mm-hmm. take your longing before the holy and ask him to do something about it <laughs> and um recognize that part of the way that God might do something about the longing is you doing your own inner work, Mm -hmm. you know, and figuring out, um, what might need to, um, be healed, let go of, um, in the grand scheme of things. It's not like the whole longing is, you know, a wound or something. It could be, but it, um, is almost any sensation, longing, uh, thought, desire, Reveal something deeper. So those are just our our threads, our starting points to pull upon and see what what else is underneath.
1: Absolutely. One other real just practical piece of advice I would probably give Judith would be um, given her, you know, depending on her station in life, um, and particularly as it relates to monasticism, is that there are a lot of monasteries that will allow you to come and stay for a week or two. And even have programs where they allow you to essentially be in, in a novitiate sort of mode mm-hmm. maybe for several months at a time or six months on six months off um, i spent quite a bit of time at a trappist monastery when i was young and there were all kinds of you know opportunities to essentially experiment essentially with the monastic life knowing that you could essentially retreat at any point um because again you know that that's particularly in terms of monasticism that's a long process of discernment to determine if this truly is the path that you're called to because it's a fairly austere and and you know difficult life and mm-hmm. so it's worth it's worth like i said about being courageous it's worth making some attempts to experiment a little bit see what you learn and then come back and work again with a guide with a priest with you know with mm-hmm. with somebody right who can help you discern what did you learn in this period what's now what are you seeing now after that experience both good and bad about yourself mm-hmm. and about the environment um, so there's a lot you can learn, again, as you push forward a little bit, as you play with God, as he's leading you forward. Uh, it's not just an arithmetic, you know, two-dimensional thing. It's a yeah. it's, a, it's a journey that has many tendrils. Um, yes. And, and there's no, and there's no sh- again, there's no shame in, in, you know, moving in that direction and then maybe finding that you need to go in a different one.
0: Right. And of- yeah, I was just going to say the hard part is I know a lot of um, communities, if you enter with significant either physical or mental health issues. Like that's a no, no for so many of them, um, which can be a hard thing to accept. Um, Mm -hmm. I have several friends and spiritual directees who have been in that situation. Um, and that is, then I'd return to kind of what Carl was saying, like, what's stopping you from living that life now where you are, like the aspects that you long for. And, um, that, that would be something I'd definitely walk through with a guide. If yeah.
1: That's well, just like with marriage, right? uh, you may have a longing for marriage, but you need to find somebody who has a longing for you. <laughs> and same thing with a monastic community. You mm-hmm. may have a desire to join one, but you need to also be very cognizant of where that community is at mm-hmm. within the patients. Um, and you might just not be a very good fit for that mm-hmm. particular community for all kinds of reasons.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. So um, good question, Judith. I think it's something definitely to continue to sit with and, hopefully sit with someone else who can walk with you as well. Um, we have a question from Mark who is asking why go to confession when you keep on committing the same sins? Isn't it like a broken record for God? It keeps playing the same thing over and over. And I appreciate this question. I I think it's applicable, not just to like, you know, Catholics or whoever might go to confession, um, but any of us who get stuck in unhealthy patterns and are like, oh my gosh, I keep doing this over and over and over. Like, what do I do about this? Is God getting sick of this? What's the point? <laughs> um, and I I think that also um, lends itself to the the bigger question around addiction because we get addicted to actions and it doesn't have to just be alcohol, drugs, pornography, whatever. It can also be whatever it is like binging on our latest like netflix series and avoiding your family (laughs) or snapping at them when they interrupt you or you know a whole host of things so um carl i know you have lots of um experience and love and wisdom for the 12-step um movement so um what would you say um to mark
1: yeah well first of all like i really appreciate this question from mark um i mean it's a question that i think you hear a lot and i know like i, I feel this question a lot myself um the i think my initial answer would be a, n- a number of things one is that uh having to confess the same things over and over again is very very good for your humility uh, it keeps you grounded again in who you really are and where you're really at and if you have a habitual problem it's very important to ex- to really accept the fact that that's what it is and like you know from an AA point of view absolutely I mean that first step of admitting your powerlessness over uh, the substance is the backbone of the entire program Mm -hmm. Um, and there are a number of people who um, you know there are some people who come into the into a 12-step program and they're able to quit cold turkey with the initial reason why they're there Well, one of the things we talk about all the time in the program is that, you know, sobriety is not just this, the uh, abstinence from a substance. That's just the starting point, right? Mm -hmm. The real work is in the the emotional sobriety that you need,
2: um,
1: right? To really do the inner work. And that those are the addictions actually that are fueling your substance abuse. Your substance abuse is just the tip of the iceberg. It's the most public display of your inner life. And it's, and you know, sometimes it's, it's a very specific type of um, symptom that needs a very specific type of program. But the real work is underneath the water. And that is something that doesn't change overnight. Um, and we talk all the time about, you know, the 12 steps are not just 12 linear steps where you complete them. And again, you check them off and you're done. There's a very, you know, circular process. It's a spiral dynamic where you go back over and over again, back to the steps where you redo that searching of fearless moral inventory. You're And in step 10, we talk about, um, admitting when you're wrong, you know, promptly admitting when we're wrong will promptly assumes that it's going to be done immediately and that it's going to happen repeatedly. Um, so first of all, I would say there's, first of all, there should be no shame in, in realizing that what I'm confessing, what I know that I did today, I need to confess tomorrow. And tomorrow when I confess it, I know full well that the chances of me committing that two days from now are very high. Um, that shouldn't be an impediment to going. That should actually drive you to, to go um, in the same way that if you had a medical condition, Um, You might need to see the doctor many, many times you might have to have surgeries many, many times, um, because that's just literally the way you get healed. Um, You know, the second part of his question had something to do around uh, isn't it a broken record uh, for for God to hear that and the answer is no. Um, it's a broken record, maybe for you to listen to yourself, and that's I think part of the humiliation uh, that's important to your spiritual development. Is it is a little humiliating to realize that you are a broken record a little bit on some of these things? Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, from a recovery point of view, when we talk in step five about um, we admitted to ourselves, to God, and to one other person the exact nature of our wrongs, that exact nature is something that has to be explored. It's not mm-hmm. just about the one time that I did something naughty, let's say, or that mm-hmm. needs to be right. It's I I I'm I'm in a program where I'm really exploring the exact nature of my wrong,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I and that's going to take a very iterative you know iterative process of exploration where I'm going to be able to see some parts of it now, but some parts of it are going to be hidden from me, um, and maybe for my own good because God can only show me what I'm able to bear um and so there's this sense of which we're digging right we're tilling the soil and 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 so it's a it's a patient process of mm-hmm. what am what am i capable of noticing today that i'm willing to give back but but is it a broken record to god the answer is no he's thrilled he's thrilled beyond belief when we're willing to come back over and over again and we have the courage and the stamina and the endurance to say okay well i'm here again and this is happening again,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: maybe there's something about it this time I can see differently, or I'm willing to actually give back to you in a way that maybe starts the, the healing process uh, at a more deeper level. Um, so first of all, yeah, I mean, I would just say that, that are, there's no broken re- broken record element to this whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, you're playing the same beautiful song, if you want to think of it that way, in terms of the metaphor, um, you know, it's just, it, it needs, it has to be done that way.
0: What would be an example you would give of like an addiction that's underneath an addiction?
1: Oh, I mean, a lot of it has to do with like what I would call emotional sobriety.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: like, I think you brought up the point of um, like the way in which you respond, the triggers, let's say that have you that, that feel like they elicit a knee jerk response from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. And I, I know from an addiction point of view, um, you know, by the time you get into a point where you're really addicted to a substance like alcohol or, or drugs you have so many other emotional addictions um, that it, there's a lot to work with there there's a lot of anger there's a lot of resentment a lot of resentment usually mm-hmm. um because resentment tends to be the key emotional triggering element that usually creates uh, an addiction to, to a substance so that's mm-hmm. one thing is that the, the resentments of your life are um telling you a lot about who you probably are and what you re- really need to work on uh, but there's a host of things right um and that takes work. And so, like, even in AA, if you have a really good sponsor, they, as they're walking you through the steps, they have you do some pretty serious journaling and some gridding out of. These are the things that are happening, and this is how I respond, and then this is how I feel, right? Mm-hmm. And, and actually, really starting to look at where is my part in this, because another thing I think that gets us tripped up is that a lot of people will sometimes come to confession and they're confessing everyone else's sins, <laughs> right? So, um, and that's not a good thing, right? You need to be able to you need to be able to fo- be able to focus on where is my part, but to do that in a way where you're not tr- triggering yourself is really difficult to really parse through, okay, this event happened. And then this was my response. If you have a good sponsor, if you have a good spiritual director, they can really help you figure that out. So that then when those events that trigger you occur, you have the space from them and the space from your own reaction to be able to do two things. One is that you take responsibility and accountability and you go to confession if you need to, for the part that you need to own that where you're contributing to the madness, let's say. Mm -hmm. But then on the other part, if it's driven by circumstances or by other people or or right by things that you need to have the serenity serenity to accept um then you are you're able to do that and you give them back to god and again as you do that work as you are able to essentially live out the serenity prayer of accepting the things that you can't change and doing something about the things that you can then that's where the peace and the joy and the true sobriety mm-hmm. come right so that you, when then let's say in, in mark's case if you go to confession you're able to actually dial in and figure out this situation happened this was my reaction to it and that reaction comes from these specific parts of me that need to be healed or this particular shame in me that needs to be expressed Mm -hmm. Um, and again that starts to not feel like a broken record at all even if it's about the same action and I think that's one of the things too is that again a lot of our um, ideas about confession are very surface they're very much based on exterior behavior or the last thing you did that is most obviously bad let's say Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: obviously that's a great place to start if you're going to go to confession is the naughty part at the end but there's so much that's happened before you get to the point let's say of picking up a drink or of doing something that elicits uh, that is a let's say a moral transgression um that's where the the real work is in that part because by the time you get to the part where you're taking the, the drink or hitting someone or whatever it is that you've done that's wrong i mean that it's almost too late for you at that point because again those triggers and those reactions and those scripts have essentially betrayed you up to the point where now it's inevitable
2: mm-hmm. that you're
1: going to do something bad um and yes. so again you have to backtrack you have to figure out who who was i 10 minutes earlier what did i hear last week that set me in a bad mood you know all of that has to be and that that really should be what you're bringing to confession is i indulged in this thought 2 days ago and i stewed in it like cain or right? Mm -hmm. And I lived in it and I let it breed. And then when this trigger happened, well, then I did this thing. Well, Mm -hmm. And again, I'm sorry for doing that thing. But what I'm really sorry about is the fact that I chose, right, in some way, in a way that I see now that maybe I didn't see then to engage in it such that it led to this. And, you know, and again, from a recovery point of view, this is the work we do with addicts is that and that I had to do when I was in sobriety is um, if I don't get a handle on exactly why I want to drink at this level of depth, I'm going to drink again. And if I drink again, I'm going to die. So it's a very stark life and death kind of scenario where you have to get real uh, serious about, well, do I want to die? Or do I really want to do the work? And those are both deaths. Those are both deconstructions as we talked about. Um, And I think that's one of the joys of the spiritual life fundamentally is that you, you're going to get deconstructed one way or the other, but you do get to choose the way in which you participate in that.
2: Mm, And I think mm -hmm. again,
1: you know, if you embrace that, you know, like Mark was asking about confession, it's such a beautiful tool. It's an essential tool from a recovery point of view. That's step five, just completely. Um, but it's in, I think it's from a you know j- just general spiritual point of view, there's very little progress that, that you can make without being willing to admit to you, first of all, to yourself about where you're really at, being willing to admit to your higher power of where you are and where you'd like to go, which is towards him, hopefully. And then third, you have someone else in your life that you're being 100% honest with, at least about this issue, if not everything. Um, but if you can find that, if you can be 100% honest with one person and get all of those things aligned, then the promise is, and this is true from a recovery point of view, the promise is that you will be healed. It might not be today. It might be, right? It might take several you know, moments of this, but it's going to happen. Um, and so, again, to me, I think God is thrilled beyond belief when we're willing to try to admit something that's true about the reality that we're in, because that's literally the only way.
2: Hmm. Hmm.
0: Yeah. I. I think that's so critical to underline that. Um. I feel like. I mean, we some almost like a broken record talking about inner work. Like, do sure. your inner work. Do, do your, your inner work. Inner work yeah. You know. But that's that's really where all of this comes from. You know, we're just looking at like the tree that you can see on top of the soil, but underneath there are so many roots. Mm-hmm you know, or I mean, in the cases of like attachments, if you want to call them sins, whatever your weaknesses, your addictions, those attachments, those are the smoke, like the fire is somewhere Mm. else. And you got to go figure out where that fire is. Otherwise, if you keep on bringing the smoke to confession, or, you know, to whoever it is, your therapist, you're like, I keep on smelling this smoke, like, well, okay, well, let's figure out where the fire is. Okay, because otherwise, Mm like there's not a whole lot you can do, <laughs> Like, right. you know, you can, whatever, try to put a like wet blanket over everything. So you're not breathing it in, but like, that's not putting out the fire. And yeah. so just like you were saying, I mean, whether it's, um, you know, you can't, you feel like you can't stop yourself from like looking at pornography or like you just keep on snapping at your family, like losing your patience constantly. And that's not the kind of person you want to be like What is prompting that, like, take that step back, just like you said, like, by the time you reach that moment, like, there's a lot that's gone into that, like, Mm. okay, you're snapping at your family, because you're trying to, like, watch TV, and they keep on interrupting you, like, okay, we'll take another step further, like, why do you, why is this TV so important to you right now, like, are you super stressed out about work, like, do you need to actually learn how to set boundaries at work, because, like... You know, you're being overtaxed or do you need to learn how to express your needs to your partner and your family differently? So that's like, hey, I'm really overwhelmed. There's a lot going on right now. And I need to find a way that I can just have some decompression after work where I'm not interrupted. You know, it's like what all needs to happen so that I am taking away this occasion um, where the trigger might come up? Like, what is it that I have um, influence over, you know? um and part of that is like yes i can control whether or not i snap um but it makes it a whole lot harder if all these other you know pieces are in there so um looking at all of that and again this is why we work with guides spiritual Mm -hmm. directors therapists confessors whoever so that they can help you kind of um untangle all of those tangled threads so that it doesn't just like oh that's weird. Why do I keep doing that? Dang it. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but you see exactly where that trail came from, where this where the smoke is coming from, where is the fire. Yeah. And so I think absolutely. that's the critical piece in my mind.
1: Yeah. yeah, and something you said about the guides was interesting too in the sense that, you know, I think sometimes we think that either like let's say with confession that that should be enough. <laughs> so there's this heightened sense of expectation that that sacrament is going to do a lot of the work and it is true that it does but i think one of the things that we have to know is that sometimes these all of these things have to be uh, melded together mm-hmm. maybe what you bring to confession is just the the most obvious things and it, so it's a first layer attempt to be honest and take accountability for this part then what then right then you take what you learn from being honest about that into let's say therapy, where you maybe Mm -hmm. you can do some real work to figure out the deeper things that you don't, that isn't necessarily appropriate work for the confessional, Mm -hmm.
2: right? Mm -hmm. And then
1: maybe you have very specific things that you need to work on from a practical point of view that you work with a sponsor, like an AA sponsor with, or an accountability partner or a a spiritual director. And then as you fail and learn, you fall down and you get up and you fall down and you get up and you learn some more about yourself. And then you go back to confession, because like Mark said, you've done it again but now you've learned something maybe a little bit more about why you did what you did.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
1: so it's this incredible dance that you can get um, engaged in where again, like it, you're never done. And I think one of the things too, that's so important to know is that you're not done. There is no finish line. Yeah. Um, and that really, that's sort of like disheartening, I think to those of us who like achievements and want to check things off a box and want things to be done, right? Want some level of suffering to be over. Um, but there's always more, there's always more to learn and there's always more to give. Um, and so the feeling you have, let's say, of, well, I keep committing this and why do I have to keep coming back? And doesn't God get tired of this? Um, that, those, that does fade away a little bit when you realize that, well, he's never going to get tired because that's not who he is. We get tired, maybe I'm saying, mm-hmm. it, but he never gets tired of hearing it. And I think re- really resting in that unconditional love that our father wants us, he loves us, he has us in his hands. And that he knows where we're at. He knows that we're made of dust and he knows our, our brokenness. That's why, right? I mean, that's that's literally, you know, mm-hmm. that's part of what drives his love forward is that he knows that we need him so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we can rest into that uh, unconditional love and let that go of our shame about not living up to our expectations or our parents' expectations or all of the, the scripts that we have, um, it becomes a real joy to participate in this. Um, yes, sure.
0: yes. I I like that. I I was reminded of, um, St. Therese who would often, you know, use various images of like a child falling down, like as a remedy for those of us who tend to beat ourselves up for messing up again, like, Oh my gosh, I did it again. And she's like, you're like a three-year-old or maybe one and a half, you know, like if you're trying to get up the stairs and you stumble, like, yeah, it's okay. Like be okay with yourself. And Mm -hmm. like, your your parents are gonna be just fine. <laughs> Don't worry yeah. about them. Like this is, they know that you are small and that you're gonna trip, probably regularly. Like you're learning, and that's just how you're gonna be for the rest of your life. Like, yep, yeah.
1: like the psalm crazy. say that as a as a father pities his children, so does the Lord pity those who fear Him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, yes, He loves us that much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you, um, Carl, for exploring some of these questions with me. And thank you, um, Amy and Judith and Mark for uh, submitting your questions. Very lovely to be able to explore those together. And anyone who's listening, please submit your questions as well. We'd be happy to hear from you and um, hear what your questions and curiosities and struggles might be um, and walk walk through those with you. So you can do that at spiritualwanderlust.org ask. And we'll have that link in the show notes as well. So, thank you so much for joining us. And, Carl, I appreciate you sharing all of your wisdom.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Kelly, for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining us on Spiritual Wanderlust. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider leaving us a review or sharing it with others. It really does help us reach more kindred spirits who are hungry for the depths. To learn more about what we're up to, or to access our free resources for spiritual growth, visit us at www.spiritualwanderlust.org. May your days ahead be spacious, sprightly, and surprising. See you next time.